What's the best thing you can do during the hiring process? Today, we are going to look at some best practices. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode number 86. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show that helps smart people improve their communication and leadership skills. And many of us in leadership roles find ourselves in situations where we need to bring on new members of our teams, whether that is in a formal way and hiring, or maybe it's just getting more people onto a team that are volunteering and uh, doing work informally, or maybe just finding new partnerships. And there are definitely some best practices for doing that effectively and some common things that people run into as far as missteps in this process. And so I have uh, found the person I know best who knows most about hiring, and that's Bonnie Stahoviak. She's back. Hello, Dave. I'm so glad you're back. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, you used to be a vice president of human resource development for a large organization. And so in addition to um, a lot of your academic experience, you've done a lot of hiring in the past and actually are still doing hiring, even in your academic work on committees and hiring people. And so we thought that this would be a good topic for us to look at because a lot of leaders really do face this on a regular basis. Yeah. Early in my career, I actually did a ton of hiring. I was working for a company that was growing really rapidly. And so I made hiring mistakes right out of the gate. I mean, I just did not miss a beat. So the first person that I hired wound up being the first person I needed to terminate Mm. their employment. The first person that then tried to claim that they should receive unemployment benefits, which you don't receive unemployment benefits if you're terminated for cause. And so I got to go to my first hearing and th- there was no legal support. I felt like I was going on my own. It's not, I mean, this is a courtroom, so to speak, but it's a, it's a little different. And so I learned a lot from that and I learned a lot through all of these years and I'm excited to, I guess we're going to look at really what are some of the failures that both I've made and I've seen people make in the business world. And then what are some ways we can combat those potential failures? And we're going to look at at least five of them today. And I think you mentioned something that's really true for a lot of us who have done hiring is we've all made mistakes in the hiring process. And so part of the the reason for doing this episode today is for um, hopefully you to learn from some of our mistakes in the past and things that we've run into and to learn you know, hopefully some best practices and things that we could do a little bit more effectively that would minimize some of the mistakes that we'd make in the hiring process. But it is not a science. It is an art. Uh, There's certainly some science about it, but it is a process of trying to do as effectively as possible. But uh, well, hopefully these uh, these tools today will help us to do a little better job with that. So let's jump right in. Sounds good. So the first, uh, one of the common failures in the hiring process, and uh, we're going to look at at least five of these, but the first one is testing for interview skills versus what it will take to do the job well. Bonnie, what do you what what strikes you about that that you've seen people do before? Well, a lot of the way that we hire here in America, what we're testing for almost all of the time is how well does somebody interview. Mm. So the way that we ask questions, we sort of set up things. Sometimes we actually give the answer that we want in our question and the way that we ask it. And other times, just if all you're relying on is an interview, you're really only able to tell so much from an actual interview. And so what we end up doing is we 
we can, we're not putting people in a situation where we can actually assess how well they'll do their job. We're just able to see what, how well they interview. And some people are great at it. And, and actually then it turns out that they're not able to do the job very well. And could you give an example? I think I know what you mean, but could you give an example of what's a time that someone would ask a question and actually give the answer in the question that they wanted someone to share with them? Oh gosh, it happens all the time. So yeah. So what do you, what kinds of education have you done? I mean, have you, do you, have you been more of like a lifelong learner? Do you, do you listen to podcasts ever? Or do you, you know, do you go, have you taken any continuing education class or do you like to read books? I mean, I'm just basically telling you what I want you to tell me in ter- mm. or giving you some ideas of what you might say um, by listing a lot of alternatives uh, as opposed to, can you talk to me about how you have contributed to your own professional development, for example? Uh, so the transition then for us to make if we're hiring or interviewing is asking more open-ended questions and not necessarily giving people a menu of things to choose from of really, you know, letting them create the answer themselves versus us suggesting things. Yeah. And I think the shorter, the better on most questions. And one of the techniques that many of our listeners will recognize is called asking behavioral questions. And one of the things that you can get yourself into a little bit of legal trouble, potentially, although I much more am interested in why it's effective to ask behavioral questions versus the, the legal trouble, but is when we ask hypotheticals. So if you were to come on board in this job, how would you handle a difficult customer or how would you address it if the project deadlines were slipping? It's, it's, that's the kind of hypothetical that we're talking about. And the reason why sometimes it, you can run into a little bit of legal trouble is if somebody has some kind of a, some kind of a reason why they're not able to meet the job requirements, but they may be able to receive a reasonable accommodation for that. So I've had people that worked with me before who were visually impaired. And so a reasonable accommodation was to have a monitor that was able to really magnify what was on the screen. Mm, And so that's a classic example of someone who was perfectly capable of doing a wonderful job and just needed that reasonable accommodation. So you get into a little bit of, of gray area and difficult times if you ask a lot of hypotheticals as opposed to tell me about a time when you, and that's called behavioral questioning. So how you can create behavioral questions is to go down your job description. And essentially you're going to ask the person to, from their experience, share a time when they've used that skill or that knowledge or that experience. So what would be an example of a behavioral type question that you would, you would use in a position you were hiring for so based on the question that I asked earlier, instead of can you tell me how you would handle, hypothetically, an angry customer, tell me about a time when you've hang- handled a really angry customer. Ah, okay, I got it. So it's more of looking in the past and asking them to mm-hmm. cite some examples um, versus projecting in the future what yeah. may or may not happen. Got it. And got sometimes, it. I mean, it depends on the length of the interview, et cetera. But I like to ask sometimes, tell me about a time when it went well, but also tell me about a time when it didn't go well and what you learned from the experience, Hmm. then you can start to gauge someone's ability to assess when things don't go well and then course correct for that. Something you mentioned earlier made me think of a mistake I've made in the past too around this, Bonnie, is that when I've sometimes suggested answers for people, I think, and I think a lot of us do this sometimes in interview situations, we'll suggest a bunch of answers someone could give. I think that for me, at least it's come from a place of wanting to make the person feel comfortable and not to be on the spot and wanting them to do well. And so I think sometimes by trying to help a person or just to make them comfortable, we end up sometimes, or at least I have, 
gotten into a situation where I end up giving them answers that I don't necessarily want to give them. I really want to learn what it is that they're saying. Is that something you've run into too, or you've seen other people run into? Oh, absolutely. It sort of cracks me up. I mean, speaking more broadly, not even just in the hiring context, we tend to do this a lot as listeners. We tend to insert our own options as opposed to just asking broad questions. And uh, I crack up because I really do enjoy watching The Daily Show. Some of you that are listening may like that comedy satire show, but he is one of the worst interviewers as far as that goes. So he'll have someone on talking about their book and instead of just saying, well, so talk about this, he'll, he'll actually give three or four. It's all, he's almost giving a speech about what he thinks versus actually asking them what they think. I have seen him do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very leading and you're right. A Mm -hmm. lot of people do that in their listening skills too, which is, um, it's unfortunate because we don't really listen for what the person is going to say, we get what we want to hear, which is really dangerous in any listening, but also dang- very dangerous in the interview process too, because we don't really gain anything from the interview. Then. And I want the person to be comfortable too. I, I That resonates with me as far as my history of wanting that. Yet, boy, if I want that too much, it creates sort of an artificial rapport that may or may not be there. And so I have to be willing to let go of that desire to actually have an uncomfortable experience. Which is a great transition to our next point here, which is falling victim to the halo effect. Oh, but before we do that, though, we have to talk about another one just before we move on. Oh, sure, sure. And that is, so we talked about that this challenge is testing for interview skills. Oh, yeah, we did skip that. Instead of what it's actually going to take. So a big, big part of it is don't have the interview be the only thing that you do. So there are wonderful ways that you can test for someone's skills. And I just cannot recommend enough a book that I read so many years ago that still completely makes perfect sense today. It's called Hiring Smart. Mm. And Dave's going to be putting that in the show notes. So I encourage you to go check that out. It's really inexpensive on Amazon and or whatever book provider it is you use. And wonderful tool because it basically is this, this whole argument of let's stop thinking an interview really tells us that much information and let's really increase our probability of hiring smart. It's the subtitle has something to do with how to increase where you're going to hire winners, <laughs> you know, increase your probability of hiring winners. And so a lot of that comes from skills. So a friend of mine was recently hiring for a position and this is a position to really support her in her role as a director of a program. And so she really wanted to make sure it was a good hire. And as is oftentimes in the university setting, she had a search committee, which is important to have, but that was going to be it. And what can you really tell? Okay, so you can tell how someone interviews, how they answer questions. And in our case, by the way, if they show up on time, if they show up at all, there's other issues like that that popped up. But at the same time, one of the things that was the most revealing was doing a little bit of a skills assessment because part of that job is to do some event planning. And part of that job is to be able to deal with where not everything is clear and just being able to identify what's missing. So if I'm supposed to plan this event, but I know these two speakers are confirmed, but have we heard from this one yet? And just be able to be comfortable with ambiguity, but also continually kind of closing the loop on things like that. And so what she did was she gave the candidates a few notes from past meetings, minutes, 
minutes of meetings. And then she also had, I think something like the past program from the prior year and kind of had the person put together what would be your sort of two week punch list. If you're, if you've got to get moving on some of the things for this conference, what would you do in the next two weeks? And it was really revealing. Mm. It was amazing. What just how different people saw that as a task and what they were able to, to bring to that. And I think part of the reason people don't do that is it does take more time and effort, obviously to put that together, but think about the time you save mm-hmm. and the money you save if you make the right hire and identify something up front that may not have shown up in an interview. And I remember, Bonnie, having a situation before I came to work for Dale Carnegie 10 or 11 years ago where I hired or uh, interviewed for a position and they had me go through, it was for an instructional design position and they had me go through a skills test. And so I went in and did an interview, but then I also got an assignment And I remember I had two or three hours over email to complete this process and put together a course and then send it back to them. And, you know, I, uh, it it was really uh, an interesting process because I realized that they weren't just checking my interview skills, but they were really going through an in-depth process of seeing how good a job I did at putting together design and content. And a lot of organizations don't think to do that though. And whenever possible, I like to have those things take place on site. So to have a computer somewhere that someone can use because you just never know Mm. who might be helping behind the scenes. Yeah. And so I like to have that where you can tell who might be happening and whether or not you decide to have the person have access to the internet, which I most often do because they would have that as a resource. But I mean, you could decide based on what skills it is you're trying to assess. So let's talk about the halo effect, which I mentioned a few minutes ago. And this actually, part of the reason you would do a skills test is to combat falling victim to the halo effect. So you'd see, have more data points to see. Could you tell us what the halo effect is, first of all, and then what, you know, what are some of the things we would want to watch out for with this? So the halo effect is when I really like something about you. So maybe I met you, Dave, and we're both from Chicago, which by the way is not true. No, but if but I am. <laughs> if, if we if I happened to be from Chicago and we start talking about going to ball games growing up and you also mentioned that you like technology a lot. And so so it's it's something that I like about you then causes me to think that I like everything about you without really being as critical of an evaluator on the other things. Uh, so in general, it would be finding one aspect of a person or one skill set maybe that is really phenomenal and then assuming that they're phenomenal at everything else that the job would require. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. So how can we combat watching out for that? Because I think we're all we're all susceptible to this to some extent because we're all human and we we tend to make a connection with people we like. We like to hire people that are like us, which is another danger that leaders Mm -hmm. make is hiring people exactly like them. So what would be some ways to work around that to some extent? A couple of pieces of advice here. One would be to really define your criteria in advance of meeting with the candidates. Oh, okay. So there is a difference between a job description and the criteria of what it's gonna take to do really well in a job. A job description describes the responsibilities that are in a job, and a really well-written one can help you craft the criteria well. So it's, I mean, you're you're, you're gonna have that closeness, but that criteria, if you think about it in advance and even actually weigh it. So these are the things from top to bottom, this is the most important thing, here's what percentage I would even say that's of critical importance to the job. Mm. So say for example, one of the things that people needed to be able to do is reasonably type reasonably quickly and without errors. Well, you know, depending on what the job is, that could either be super critical for it, 
if that's, you know, if you're a translator or something like that to, oh gosh, if the person was taking minutes and maybe wasn't quite as fast or had some errors they had to go back and correct, but they were phenomenal in other areas that were more crucial to the job, then that would be okay. So if we think about that in advance, it's going to help us not fall victim to the halo effect. And then the other one is to have multiple data points along the way. One of the things I have failed at before was not either noticing or at least recording and seeing patterns of when did the person show up? Did they do what they said they were going to do? What? And there's little subtle things that come up. In fact, the the one I mentioned from, from the first person I ever hired in my career, it's embarrassing to admit this, talked inappropriately about a divorce in the interview. Oh. And that is not a subject that should come up in one's no, probably <laughs> first not. interview for a job. And so that was a indicator of the person's judgment, but I didn't pay enough attention to that because all mm. the other things there were good. I probably, that was an example probably of falling victim to the halo effect because some of the other things we really needed were there. And so, oh gosh, we really need the individual with those skills. And I, I think I probably fell victim to it. So if I we have- I appreciate mul- you sharing that because I think that that's realistic that a lot of people have fallen into that in the past where they've seen something they've liked and then sort of missed something like that, that might be an indicator of someone's judgment. And of course, it's always easy to look back and to see what are the things maybe we should have seen along the way. But sometimes there are some of those things that if we just take five minutes to step back and think and think about what the person said and review our notes after a meeting that we will sometimes see those things that might be indicators of a larger issue. In another recent hiring effort, there was, we were coming up with a list of possible questions to ask. And Mm. so one of the things that candidates in that particular instance had to submit in advance was their philosophy of teaching. Mm. And so I had suggested one of the questions had to do with philosophy of teaching. And they said, oh, well, but we already asked about that. They already provided that in this document. Well, I'm actually want to ask it again (laughs) because you've given it to me in writing. I have no idea actually who wrote that. I have no idea what it's like when you're asked off the cuff to describe something like that. So I like to have multiple data points to, especially for something as critical in a teaching job of what your philosophy of teaching is, where you, where you can actually see kind of some of the nuance of somebody's answer. Sure. And are you looking for consistency between those two data points then? Okay, great. And so if you saw inconsistency, that would be something that might be an indicator that maybe they don't have as much of a skill set in writing versus speaking or something like that, or there's just not thinking through something or maybe yeah, something else that's going or on. if the person showed, as I mentioned in my first example, if the person had shown pro- poor judgment in a first interview, then is that going to be popping up again later on? Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Well, we've talked about this a little bit of our third point here, missing small clues along the way. So part of this is having some sort of multi-step process and tracking a person's progress along through it. So you've hit on this a little bit of not just relying on a single interview. And I know different organizations do this differently. Some organizations will have a two or three step interview process. Some will do a skills test. Some will have submit writing in advance. Um, What else should people be thinking about as far as being able to have a multi-step process? Well, you mentioned in terms of the investment of time that this can be a time-consuming thing. I I love that you quickly followed that up with, you can't afford not to spend this time. Mm -hmm, For sure. Because some of the problems that can come up trying to terminate someone's employment because it's not working out or even worst case scenario of some legal matters, you're going to really wish you had spent the time early on. So 
I, I really don't think there should be any reason to hire someone for any less than three-step process, some kind of a phone interview, which actually is more than three because there's the actually sending in of your materials and that type of thing. But there's the, the phone interview and then a face-to-face and then some kind of an additional follow-up before someone's actually extended a job offer. And it does seem like a lot of work on its face if, if you're not doing that right now. Um, but the statistics on this are crazy, Bonnie, when you look at them. And I wish I'd pulled some of them for it. I'm, I'm thinking now is before we started recording here. But if you look at the amount that it costs to replace someone after a termination or after someone leaves your organization, when you really add up recruiting time, um, t- staff time to interview someone, bringing someone on board, getting someone up to speed, new hire training, all of that, the cost is substantial for bringing someone on board in an organization. And so you want to make sure you do it right. And if it means taking an extra day or two or having someone go through an extra step and making a better decision because of that, that is really, um, that's really, really valuable for your organization, even if it means a little bit more time up front. Absolutely. So I'm sorry. The next one is forgetting that the very best candidates are interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. Hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by this? Well, if, I think that if we spend so much of our time, it's a test and I'm going to see if you're right for the company and the right for the job. And it's, there's no thought into why are we a great place to work? And if you're interviewing because you're the direct manager that they'll report to, we know that people go to companies, go to positions and leave companies, leave positions based on, the, and speaking of the research, it's on their manager a ton of the time. And so you want to be thinking about why would they want to work for you? And that should come out in the, in the interview process. And so I've had everything from, gosh, one time I was hired and before I even started, they were sending out information about the job, which was great. And even a little, I can't remember if it was a padfolio or something that was just a nice little, we're looking forward to you starting. Mm. And it, that was just a wonderful thing to have happen. And as people might know, sometimes people are still getting multiple job offers out there. And, and so you really want to be, hey, we're, we're really looking forward to you starting. And one thing that on the other side of it is always looking for, and I've always looked for this when I've interviewed people, is do they come to the interview with questions? Do they genuinely seem interested? Have they done the research on the organization? Do they come wanting to really engage and learn about you as well? And that's a, I, I've always seen that as a good sign when someone comes with a list of questions and they really ask and they've done their homework. And when they haven't, or they don't have any questions or they haven't seemed to do their homework on the, organ, on the organization, you know, that's something that I wonder, well, even if this seems like a great candidate, is this really going to be a good fit for them? Mm-hmm. Are they going to stay you know, connected with this organization long-term or are they going to jump as soon as they have another opportunity that comes up? So that's something to really watch for as well too. The last one is not leveraging technology in the process. And so it is crazy how quickly things are changing. I can remember when it was pretty much almost exclusively monster.com and Mm -hmm. jobs.com. And now there are so many more choices where you can get really, really targeted toward what it is you're hiring and tools like LinkedIn, for example, that really used to be kind of our business contact manager as individuals have now really flipped into being great recruiting tools for companies. And so you can go in there and do amazing searches down to a very granular level with a tool for people who are not necessarily actively looking for work right now. And so that's a great thing that you can be able to do. 
And then, of course, even as that may not be how you decide to try to source candidates, but you certainly can also find out a lot about candidates out there. Yeah. And one thing to keep in mind, too, is that both on the employer side and on the person who's looking for a position is the hidden job market is, uh, you know, the the book by Richard Bowles, who the What Color Is Your Parachute, by mm-hmm. the way, is a great book if you're looking for a, a job um, as far as just going through the career process and the hiring process. But I know he talks about the statistic that something like 75% of jobs are in the hidden job market. There's not mm-hmm. necessarily an advertisement that's gone out about them or something that's getting posted to a bulletin board. Usually that's the last preference of the employer. The employer is first looking for, do we have anyone internally that we already know that would fill this position? Do we know people? Do we have people in our network? And usually by the time they're sending out a job application, unless they're mandated to because they're a government organization, usually that's the last preference. That's like, we don't have anyone else we know, so we're just going to kind of randomly go out there and try and find someone. But, But more of the time, if we can be sourcing candidates from internal connections, people we know, and candidates the same thing, having good connections through something like LinkedIn and through our personal connections and families and friends. That's a wonderful way to be able to locate opportunities. A lot of times the best candidates come from there as well too. Absolutely. Hey, thanks Bonnie for your time and your thoughts on this. And I should mention one other thing too is if you're in the hiring process and particularly if you work for an organization that is large enough where you have a human resources department organization, make sure you you get their advice too. Um, Connect with them, talk with them. They have a lot of materials. They have a lot of expertise in helping you to navigate this. And in most organizations, I'm always amazed, Bonnie, how often hiring managers don't go to seek out HR. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not until late in the process or maybe HR isn't even really involved very much. But if you're able to spend even, you know, just spend 10 or 15 minutes talking to your HR contact in your organization, find out, get get some resources, some tools around this. They can often support you with a lot of these. A lot of times they have resources already connected with your organization. So be sure to check out those two. And I was going to say one more thing about that hiring smart book. It has tons of examples of the types of exercises that you could create. So that'll Ah, really minimize your time coming up with those too. Awesome. Thanks, Bonnie. I appreciate you coming in. Thanks. Hey, I hope this conversation was helpful to you. And in particular, if you are in the process of hiring someone or maybe about to do that or thinking about it, then uh, check out the show notes online, coachingforleaders.com slash 86. That's also a great place to join the conversation about this episode. If you have a comment, question, or feedback about anything that we have mentioned, be sure to hop on there as well. Scroll Scroll to the bottom. You'll see the place to add in a comment or feedback. And you can also call me at 949-38-LEARN. That's a great way to get in touch. Or email to feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Hey, I wanted to mention one quick note about last week's episode number 85. Uh, If you listen to it, then you know the topic was 10 ways to pick yourself up when you're beaten down. And I got several emails from folks this week. Uh, that you know really uh, were very touching and uh, f- several folks in our audience who are going through some difficult times right now. And as I was reading through those emails and feedback and responding and then going back and listening to the episode again, I realized that I missed something in last week's episode that I wanted to add on here. And that is, is that it is absolutely okay to have a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year, if there's a good reason for it. You know, I think one of the things that um, many people in my 
industry are perceived as in the coaching training industries, there's sometimes this perception that, you know, all of us are, you know, kind of these positive thinkers. Um, you know, you should never have a bad day, think positive, overcome all your obstacles, uh, never complain. And, you know, I just, life isn't like that. And so I didn't at all mean to convey that message uh, last week and last week's episode, if you got that message, uh, it was more of a show that was intended to be a, you know, when you're just kind of hitting, you're hitting a rut, and there's no particular reason for it. You're just feeling down, or maybe you've been, uh, you know, you've had a couple situations happen in your life that are kind of getting you feeling not confident about yourself, like how to pick yourself up from that. But man, there are things that happen in all of our lives that are really difficult things. And those 10 things aren't going to overcome those. Uh, nor should they be used to try to pretend that any of those difficult things haven't happened. So I just wanted to mention that uh, because I think that that's just life. And if we can look at life that way and certainly do the things that we can do to pick a, pick ourselves up when we're having those kind of down bluesy days, but um, but also to know that there are times that life's really hard. And, uh, and when those times happen, you know, find the people you know that can help support you. Find the people that will listen and just be there for you and just be present in your life and just love you for who you are and not try to change you and control you and rush you through that process. And if you find those people, those people will be a wonderful blessing to you. Hey, speaking of uh, of having great, uh, great blessings and great community, I want to thank uh, a number of folks who have reached out to me in the last a uh, week or so on social media. So a big thank you to Kristen K, Marie Austin, uh, Christopher Avery, Neil Schaefer, Faviola Bolster, Andrew McGivern, Sherry Lynn, Dominic Sakati, Steve Stewart, Majid Raza, Joanna Janikowska, Angie Apollo, and Tom Stout. Hey, thanks for connecting with me on social media. And if you'd like to get connected as well, you can go to coachingforleaders.com slash Twitter, coachingforleaders.com slash Facebook, or coachingforleaders.com slash plus, depending on which one of those you like to use. Hey, if you'd like a midweek booster shot with an email article that will be helpful to you, that will help you to be a better leader, communicator, and you'd like to get that each week, go on to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and you'll get my weekly article that comes out usually on Wednesdays. Hey, I hope you have a great week. And if there's anything I can be helpful to you on as far as future topics, episodes, or articles, feel free to drop me a line anytime. Feedback at coachingforleaders.com. I'd love to hear from you. And hey, if you've just started listening recently, I'd love to hear from you too. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.